Welcome back to The Pilgrim's Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Adriana. And I'm Sophia. And I'm so happy to be back with all of you and you, Sophia. Welcome back. Thank you. I wanted to start by just expressing my sincere gratitude for all of the prayers and heartfelt wishes in my delivery and birth with Paul. He is just the most delightful gift from God. He's a beautiful little boy. He doesn't sleep at all, but... He is so beautiful, and a special gift is that we were joined by Sophia for his baptism Mm -hmm. as she's the godmother, and it was so good to be with you in the flesh. It was such a gift, and I'm grateful that you've had a good transition period with him, even though that has meant time away from the podcast. But I'm even more grateful that you're back and that we can record today one of our regular episodes after a couple interviews and a talk. Um, For those of you who have been following over the summer. And from a new location. And from a new location, yeah. (laughs) I'm currently in Boston, podcasting from my new apartment, the only room in my apartment which has adequate sound quality, which is a closet, so (laughs) very appropriate for the topic of pain. I am surrounded by darkness. (laughs) But yeah, this feels like a very appropriate topic to come back on, given your experience of labor and childbirth, which is incredibly painful. And the summer that I've had, which uh, one of the inspirations for this topic was a conversation I had with some friends on a backpacking trip, which involved a lot of pain, both just the ordinary fatigues, but then also one of us was injured. And it raised provocative questions, I think, for each of us about the value of the offering that we were making. Mm -hmm. And the relationship between our experience on that trip and the sacrifices that we are asked to make in the rest of our life. So I'm glad to be able to learn from you today and to share with our listeners some reflections on on pain, on the experience of pain, on what it looks like to live pain apart from Christ or with Christ, and um, yeah, what's helped us enter into experiences of pain as an opportunity to verify his presence in our reality. Yeah, what an educative opportunity to like reflect on that on a backpacking trip with Mm. friends and as you're actively blistering, like recognizing (laughs) those are necessary blisters to strengthen your souls, like the soles of your feet, but also your souls. And also beautiful and, like, worthwhile for the friendship that is, like, generated in those moments of suffering together and yeah, in the beauty of creation. I mean, it's a metaphor, but... Yeah, it's a metaphor, but not just a metaphor. And, and even in how it's not automatic, even when surrounded by such natural beauty and such incredible friendships, it's not automatic to live that pain with Christ to not see it as an obstacle to us having a good time and something that I wish wasn't yeah. there and something that if I try hard enough, you know, we can just, Eric can push through this knee injury, you know. So, yeah, so it was quite a microcosm of what, I mean, all of us experience pain in our lives, um, but I think particularly of an, a chronic illness that I struggle with. And it was such a, a focal experience of what usually in a more diffuse and protracted way I experience 
in the rest of my life, my ordinary day to day life and dealing with the pain from this illness. So, yeah, where do you want to where do you want to start? Because already even just in that example of backpacking there, I feel like there are a number of salient themes that we could pick up on. Yeah, I I love the framing of your backpacking experience being a person who also loves to be in creation and Mm -hmm. with friends i've done some of the camino and that's like what is brought to mind for me and the suffering i experienced on the camino and just like the absolute dependency i had on Mm. the pilgrims i was with and then also like strangers along the road who so we did the route through poland that would eventually end in Santiago de Compostela, but we stopped in Krakow for World Youth Day. Wow. So everyone we encountered only spoke Polish, but still like how Christ would happen in a foreign language and people would come out and bring us snacks or invite us inside for baked goods. I mean, they had no idea we were coming, but just like the hospitality. Mm. And then I had brought a horrible pair of shoes, like You'd think I'd never walked before this pair of shoes I brought. (laughs) And uh, my feet hurt so badly. And my cousin, who's one of my best friends, she traded shoes with me every other day. And she even claimed that she liked my shoes, which I knew was impossible. They had like zero support. They're nice for running, not for carrying 30 pounds on your back. And she did that for the entirety of the journey. And she was such an example to me of what it means to live our pain with Christ in that I had to like depend on her and be open to her. And it also wasn't all just like in my head. It was in the flesh Mm. in a real way. And yeah, that's just one example. I guess that's a place where we could start of like who who have been teachers to you and how to live your pain with Christ. Wow. I appreciate that image so much, and it makes me think about the truth of pain, which is exactly as you said, when it's lived with Christ, what it invites, what it calls forth, what it unfurls in the world is loving self-gift, receiving the loving self-gift of another. But your own pain, too, can drive you to say that you want to be with those who are suffering and to share in what they're experiencing Because you too have seen in the way that Christ accompanies you in your pain that you're not alone. Mm. Yeah, wow. I I think for me, the the primary exemplar of what it means to live pain with Christ that I have in my life, who I try to think of often when I'm in pain, is Father Father Aldo Trento. And longtime podcast listeners will know that I spent a summer with him. He's an Italian missionary in Paraguay, and he has a beautiful foundation there that includes a palliative care clinic, a hospital for people with serious disabilities, a home for young homeless pregnant women. I mean, every human need has been welcomed and embraced in that community. And yet, as longtime podcast listeners will also have heard, uh, Father Aldo is not he doesn't have the personality of an angel. Um, he has a lot of <laughs> he has a lot of struggles and uh, doesn't wake up full of great cheer in the morning. And part of that now is also that he has a very serious illness that causes him a lot of pain. And mm-hmm. and yet the way that that man gets up in the morning 
is, for me, evidence of the presence of Christ because he doesn't stop at the first impact he has with reality, with his pain, with the ugliness of the suffering that surrounds him, at his own weakness or incapacity, but renews each day this entreaty of his heart to Christ to come and to show him the truth of reality, to move him beyond his ideas and into life. And it disabused me of these false notions of holiness, of someone who mm-hmm. who wouldn't be affected by pain or their own suffering or who would never be in a bad mood or would never lose their temper. or Because instead I saw a man who who woke up profoundly depressed every morning and yet would <laughs> would say that that reality was good by the end of the day because and this was his mantra and I've told Adriana this before but his mantra that he would repeat of what saves him from depression how Christ saves him through from depression he says that you have to cultivate calluses on your hands calluses on your knees and calluses in your head calluses in your hands from serving the people around you from sharing life with them as gratuitously as christ shares it with you Mm -hmm. calluses on your knees from begging and offering to the mystery to the father who's creating you now and calluses in your head from judging reality from having this mind that's been transformed as saint paul talks about and renewed so that it can see the truth as God sees it. Wow. Yeah, that's possible when I'm in pain. That's what Father Aldo shows me, is that I can give myself to others. I can be in relationship and aware of the Father, and I can see the truth of reality. And yet this is not how I live my pain. So when I repeat this to myself, I usually recognize immediately like, oh, I don't have calluses on my hands right now. I'm just completely self-absorbed because of my pain. Or Mm -hmm. I don't have calluses in my head. I'm staying with my ideas of like, this is not how I wanted this day to be instead of actually looking around me for the presence of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'd be able to like give myself to God if only the circumstances were different. Yes. I could serve him if I didn't have this pain right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so stupid. <laughs> I think you've brought up that Carol Houselander example before of like the woman who thought she could offer herself to God if not for her, her rheumatic arthritis. Yeah. She could go offer herself to the cannibals and be a martyr for Christ. Yes. <laughs> but wouldn't offer her rheumatism. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, I love that example of Father Aldo not having met him. I feel like I know him. Mm. And it strikes me like the authenticity precisely in a way because of his depressive personality. Yeah. It's this this other man that made present in him, Jesus. And it's like all the clearer because he's he isn't too upbeat. I don't know. Yeah. You definitely can't chalk it up to just, oh, yeah, this man was just born like with this incredible capacity to love. It's clearly something given to him and something that he's responded to with this freedom. And that's what you're attracted to. It's the it's the possibility of redemption and transformation of my pain that I see in him because my limitations aren't an objection. Yeah, a real example for me and someone who was an incredible intercessor in my reversion to the faith, St. John Paul the Great. Yes, yes. Experienced from his early childhood, just tremendous pain, the death of his mother when he was four, then growing up in Nazi-occupied Poland, having to enter the seminary secretly, having his 
brother, his only brother, die when John Paul was a teen, and then losing his father all before receiving ordination. Wow. And it was so clear to me when I was introduced to him and reading his biography that this man should be an atheist. He should be a nihilist. And yet he spoke of like the beauty of human desire as if he was speaking to my own heart. And I was in such a place of of despair and turmoil myself from the way I was living and treating myself that I had come to a point where I thought I needed to deny my my elementary desires of my heart in order to find happiness. Mm. And John Paul II said precisely the opposite. All of these desires of your heart are good. Listen to them. That he could say that in the midst of his pain, that the sorrow I experience and the grief I experience from the death of my entire family is a reminder to me that my heart isn't made for death. Wow. And it's a reminder to me of the resurrection and the promise of the resurrection. Why else would I respond with such outrage at death? Mm -hmm. To see him live that witness with such a radiant joy was was life-changing. He could actually experience the resurrection now. And not through um, a washing away or ignoring of the pain and suffering. Yeah. And you were available to be struck by that. You were able to perceive the human relevance of his witness because of your own pain. And I think that's important to note, too, because one of the ways in which the Lord can use pain as a powerful teacher for us is in its capacity to root us in the present moment and awaken, exactly as you were saying, this cry of the heart, begging to know if life is positive, if reality is good, if I'm going in a direction that leads to joy or not, if life is worth living. Yeah. And I think pain, why is pain such a good teacher for that? Why is it so effective at reawakening those questions? It's because pain is so visceral. You can't escape it. You can't rationalize your way out of it like other difficulties. You can't escape in dreams of the future or nostalgic memories of the past. Like pain puts you in the present moment and you see, at least I do, <laughs> you see your own emptiness and that you're not made for that emptiness. And I think I see that in your response to St. John Paul II's witness, that he gave you a positive working hypothesis to have in that place of being thrust into the present moment, right in front of those urgent questions that you need a positive proposal to follow or you can't find an answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Sophia. I appreciate that so much because that helps me like process even more the goodness of facing your own pain and suffering and not looking away from it, Yeah, which is such a temptation. But you're right. It was because I could recognize – I was in despair that John Paul II could meet me. If I wouldn't have looked at that, I I wouldn't have been able to be as affected by by his invitation to return to the deeper desires of my heart. And it's not automatic to live pain that way. I don't know, at least not for me. So that's definitely definitely a grace. Yeah, I think an obvious aspect of the saints is that in their pain and suffering, they're able 
to make a gift of themselves. Mm. And what I see in myself is the exact opposite, like a tendency to self-enclose, especially when I'm in like kind of a circumstance or season of pain or suffering to treat that entire season with like a disposition that says, I can't possibly help you right now because I'm in too much pain myself. And it makes me unable to receive the event of Christ happening in front of me because it makes me unable to receive any surprises or any newness. Yes. Like I've already decided the course of my day. Yeah. Boy, do I relate to that. I also wanted to mention for our listeners that Paul has joined us <laughs> a little early from his nap. Welcome, Paul. Um, you're exactly right. This inward turn, this self-enclosure perpetuates the true suffering, which is not the physical pain, but the lack of awareness of the meaning of reality, the lack of perception of an answer to our desires. And... This is, I think, a great game that Satan plays with us when we're in pain, is getting us to believe that our bodies, because of our pain, are the prison, that we have to escape from our circumstances in order to be free again. And until then, we can't we can't minister to others. We can't. There's no use in even praying. There's no use in, in seeking an answer to our desires. Yeah, when in reality, it's precisely that posture is the prison, not the pain. Mm-hmm. We are enslaved by our own ideas, and this is what makes us end in nothingness, not the pain. Yeah, because in that, there's this notion or false stance that's saying, I'm God, and and if I could will it, will myself to not feel this pain, or if I didn't have this pain, then I would be able to control the universe, and I would be able to give of myself in the way that I choose, in the form that I choose. Yeah. And that I'm used to doing and that I am so associate with who I am. Exactly as I said, it's it's the will. Like I think we in modernity are so inclined to perceive ourselves as self-creating. Mm-hmm. I fall into this all the time. I get to the end of the day and if I wasn't able to exert my will in the ways that I usually do, whether it's because I'm in pain or because someone has asked me to give of them of my time or just repeated failures at work that I've been experiencing. Like I get to the end of the day and I feel less than myself because I wasn't able to assert my will on reality. And this is a lie because who I am is not a function of what I can do. And in pain, this dynamic becomes really acute because if you can't, I mean, in extreme cases, you can't get out of bed, right? You can't say the things that you usually do. You can't relate to the people that you usually do. Who are you in that moment? Mm -hmm. Are you still one with the Mm -hmm. same dignity and the same identity as before? Yeah. So in that way, pain can become an invitation to receive the truth of your identity from Christ. Um, And I think here of Cardinal Van Thuan, who, Vietnamese cardinal who was imprisoned for a long time also in solitary confinement, at a time when his diocese needed him a lot. And there were a lot of beautiful things happening in in ministry and among the laity. And and he experienced in those years of imprisonment under the communist regime, this purification of the Lord asking him, do you love me or do you love the things you can do for me? And I think that's a question that is posed to all of us when we're in pain, whether it's incapacitating or more mild. It's, do you love me or do you love what you can do? Yeah, wow, that's so 
powerful. And also, I guess just to me reminds me how much we need the other to remind us of our own dignity, Mm. precisely because the human person is a being in relation. Like our dignity is received from God. We're made in his image and likeness. And we experience that through the other. Like I experience who I am from the other. But when you were speaking, I was thinking um, growing up, I babysat a boy who developed a neurological disorder that slowly disabled him entirely. And then ultimately he died from the disorder. I spent so much of my childhood with him. And it was so obvious to me, his dignity, even more so as he slowly lost his ability to walk and talk. Wow. And like I said, ultimately died. And the image of Dakota strikes me so much in my life and so often, precisely because he was such a clear example in my life that it isn't by productivity or what we can do that we receive our dignity. But Dakota reminds me of that too for myself, Mm -hmm. particularly when I'm confronted with my own tendency to despair and treat my pain like it's nothing. Yes, because those are the two sides of the razor's edge. I don't know what the idiom is that I want to use here, (laughs) but uh, precisely as pain can threaten us, and undermine our sense of identity. That's the other side of the coin. Maybe that's the expression. From the potential that it has to strip away everything that lays claim to your identity that's not Christ. Who is Dakota but one who the Father is making now? One who Christ had redeemed. One who was called to the same destiny that we're, that we're called to. And mm-hmm. yeah, one of the prayers that I try to pray when I'm in more periods of pain, is St. Patrick's breastplate. These litanies of, like, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ in me, Christ on the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Like, this is who I am. This is who I am. And to beg for that memory to be made new again, as we talked about with Father Mike on the interview that he did back in May, this is not a memory that's just like a cognitive calling to mind, something that happened in the past, but the representation of an event that we beg for perception of our life to become new again, for us to perceive Christ's gaze on us now in reality. But as you were pointing out with your own experience of Dakota, like rooted in a certainty that we've had in the past of an event that we are certain of in our past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Sophia. I appreciate that hearing your reflections because it deepens my own memories. And I guess I would just love to hear too, where have you been able to like see past your own cross while living the cross and experience the resurrection? Specifically with pain. Yeah, because for me, that's where, I don't know, the money hits the road. Is that the expression? (laughs) We're messing up all our idioms. Yeah. The rubber hits the road, I think. (laughs) That's, for me, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's what I need. I, you know, studied theology. I appreciate theology academically and on an abstract level. But if I don't experience the resurrection now, and particularly in my pain and suffering, then I think I'd fall into nihilism. Yeah. I don't mean that every experience of pain brings about also an experience 
of the resurrection in that immediacy, like we are actually awaiting the real resurrection. The fullness of the resurrection at the end of time, yeah. Yeah, but I think we have these experiences now, and it's the testimonies of others so often that are strengthening for me and provocations of my own memory of where Christ has met me on my journeys of pain and suffering. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I'm grateful you asked because why is it reasonable to have certainty in the resurrection at the end of time, but because you begin to experience it now? And so these two things are not are not divorced. Yeah, I think the example that comes to mind is something that's been happening in this last year in my experience of pain, and particularly in the context of an illness that I've dealt with for years. So I'm really grateful for the way that the Lord has continued drawing me deeper into what he wants to teach me through this experience and hasn't left me at the place that I was when I first contracted this difficulty. The fact that I'm discovering is that my weakness is a gift to me. Mm. And I'll get to how this is an experience of the resurrection in a minute, but I just want to try to elaborate or try to put words to this experience because it's a revolution for me. Someone who I think from the day I started walking sought to eradicate every form of weakness in her life. I've discovered in my experience of pain that my incapacity, both the practical incapacity as we were talking about before of like, I'm in pain, therefore I can't, you know, go on the run that I was planning on going on or whatever it is. But even more deeply, my moral incapacity. So my inability when I'm in pain to minister to the people around me, to be patient with my colleagues, to be attentive in prayer, to be cheerful. My incapacity to exert my will and make myself that kind of person when I'm in pain is a gift for me because of the incarnation, because Christ so passionately desired to be one with me and to redeem everything about my condition, that he took on that weakness, that he became an infant and a man who suffered. He so desired me that he took on this weakness. And so what's given to me in my own pain, in my own weakness, is in a sense, a claim on mercy, right? Because I don't save myself. And every time that that I experience my own human frailty in this moment of pain, whether physical or moral, it can become the occasion to discover again, as if for the first time, that the destiny that awaits me and that I hunger for is given to me freely in this movement of the word becoming flesh It's not something I have to create for myself, Mm -hmm. which I can trick myself on days when I'm full of energy and enthusiasm and therefore can give of myself in a way that feels more fulfilling. Like I can trick myself into thinking that I am creating my destiny, but my weakness is such a gift. It's so liberating because I can, I learn to look at myself And therefore also at the reality in front of me and the people in front of me with an unconditional affection, Mm -hmm. because this is the flesh that Christ loves, not not a woman who's free from weakness and not a woman who's perfect in virtue, but this woman now. And I think without the 
helplessness that comes from suffering and pain, I would have a hard time believing, and I still do, but I would have an even harder time believing that Christ loves me, not someone that I can become, Mm -hmm. not someone that I wish I was, but me in all my weakness. And so for me, that's the resurrection because this is, I mean, this is what our like self-help culture and positive affirmation culture is desperately striving for, right? This movement towards self-love and like, I was listening to Demi Lovato, I can't remember the song, but she says, I wonder when I love me is enough. And I was just, my heart was rent in front of that phrase because I love me will never be enough. Yeah. We can only experience this acceptance of self, this radical acceptance of ourself and our weakness through the gaze of another, specifically through the gaze of Christ on the cross, who's gazing at us saying, mm-hmm. this, this body is for you. Yeah, yeah. There's such a desperation in the self-creation culture because, because the heart knows it's not enough. Wow, I appreciate what you said so much, Sophia. And I mean, I immediately thought when you said, my weakness is a gift of of the Magnificat and Mary's magnanimity, her greatness being like precisely because she delights in the fact that she's a lowly handmaid. Mm. That is her absolute joy because she is in a posture of pure receptivity because she's lowly. She's saying the same thing through you now. My weakness is my gift. And it's because I'm I'm lowly, because I can only receive, that I can become the vessel to receive Christ himself. Um, and to me, in what you're saying, it's like in these occasions where grace really breaks through in, in your own pain and suffering, and it's not in a beautiful way, I'm sure it can often be in a really ugly and painful way. Yes. You're able to bear Christ. Yeah. I'm going to ponder more the Marian, the Marian connection. And I appreciate that invitation. What would you, to return to the same question, what would you say in reply in your own life? Have you had experiences of the simultaneity of the resurrection and the cross in uh, in your experiences of pain? Yeah, thank you for that question, Sophia. As you were speaking, it reminded me most immediately of childbirth, which is kind of like a story within a story for me because I had decided to offer my second the second birth of my child i i lost my cousin and best friend who i mentioned at the beginning of the episode died that year and mm-hmm. it was so deeply painful for me she died by suicide and had struggled tremendously with mental health issues and extreme trauma and i had decided to to offer Pia's labor for any souls and any people who are considering death by suicide that mm. that Christ might meet them in that moment. And when I started going into labor, I started thinking about Tanya and this offering. Um, and I thought I was going to like break down. I thought maybe I had put too much on myself because it was so emotional mm. still. It had only been a couple months. And I just gave this over to Christ and returned to the task at hand, which was the laboring of my of my second daughter. I think labor is I've come to see almost as like an a blessing is in that it's painful because it's such an obvious experience of the resurrection like you experience the pain but like the gift of your child. But the question my heart had that wasn't even consciously formed is like 
in this actual experience, is it just linear? Is it like next when Pia is born, then it was worthwhile? But like, is the activity of the pain itself, can that be transformed Mm. too? And can I experience that? Now, yeah. And the fact that I could come through that, my answer is yes. Like in this offering for those who were in that kind of struggle, I felt Christ take that and not alleviate my pain at all, but that it could be transformative and not just about myself, but a gift. Mm. And it was also made so apparent by like the most tremendous support of Brian and my labor and delivery nurses and my OB2 who were like the face of God before me in the flesh coming and ministering to me in my own pain that I was also trying to offer for someone else. Yeah. And I'm sure like, you know, Brian was also operating on very little sleep and not to over exaggerate. I know it's like a pun now or something to talk about the pain of the husband and a woman's childbirth, but Is it really? <laughs> yeah. But he was giving himself to me. I was trying to give my pain over to Christ and could actively experience like through the people around me that this was efficacious. Mm-hmm. Brian's help to me was easing my pain and an experience of the tenderness of Christ's love and in the intimacy. And then like we receive Pia. So I could even categorize it as like a beautiful suffering. Um, and it totally transformed my grief with Tanya also, because in my own state of like utter helplessness, that Christ would come and meet me in that deep pain, put again before me the possibility of mercy mm. and Christ trying to intimately tell me that mercy is the final answer and mercy is the final answer for me and mercy is the final answer for Tanya in her death. And that it remains tragic. It isn't what Christ wanted for her. And yet still mercy will meet her. So it was just such an experience of the resurrection. And and it continues to be because I'm often struck that in grieving Tanya or on special dates that I almost intuitively like look for another sign, if you will, or something, or mm. that it isn't enough. Like I, I need Christ to happen again every day. And I was saying to you, like before we started recording that I feel like I'm living 51st dates right now with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to see it. As a positive analysis of my life, like in the postpartum experience, I feel like I can't remember anything and I'm operating on like very little sleep and every day is just like a a brand new day and I'm like Drew Barrymore that starts over and Christ is wooing me again and again and I was telling you some of the dates and 51st dates are bad dates Um, (laughs) And of course, it's it's me that's... You're the problem. It's not a perfect metaphor. Yeah. Like Taylor Swift says. Um, Taylor Swift and St. Catherine of Siena. Yes. Yes. You're in good company. Yeah. The problem of the world is me. Yeah. But though I'm at times enduring like the postpartum reality, that that's not an obstacle to experiencing Christ or 
living my vocation, which is definitely a temptation that like once we return to normalcy, whatever that means, or Paul starts sleeping, then then I'll be able to continue on my discipleship. But no, it's it's right now, and it isn't just the postpartum experience that's 51st dates, it's actually every day. Yeah, similar to what you're saying, like because of my weakness, I can see that more clearly now. Mm, a focal experience given to you to learn something true about reality and your life as a whole. Thank you, especially for sharing about Tanya and your experience of childbirth with Pia and how this has been a place of encounter for you with the presence of Christ who accompanies you and his mercy, which is the final word on not just the trajectory of human history, but your life and the life of those you love. And I'm really struck by, I mean, where you started, which is that you decided to offer, right, to make this free act of recognizing that Christ, Christ is the substance of reality. So he was the substance of your labor, of your body, of your pain. And so it can be part of his redemption of the world by by offering it to him. But precisely in that offering, like you don't take the answer for granted. It's also an entreaty. It's a begging him, like show yourself in this. If you are the substance of my life, if you are the substance of this pain, like show yourself in it. And not just to me, but but implicit in what you're saying, especially your concern for anyone who might be in Tanya's position, like it's a begging on behalf of the whole world. And I think that already for me is evidence of the resurrection that that your difficulty, your pain, your grieving could become the locus of communion instead of something that drives fragmentation and solitude. And then all the more precisely, as you said, because of the way that he met you through the love of Brian and your nurses and through the joy of welcoming Pia and yeah, incredible. Yeah, thank you. And I think what was so powerful for me at the moment was I probably had this idea that I have this offering written down and hopefully I'm like, quote unquote, strong enough to keep it to mind or something. Mm, mm. But it was actually in the experience of tremendous, tremendous pain. And like, I'm not able to do this on my own. Seeing the face of Brian, having a nurse tenderly put a cold towel on my face. It was all of these encounters within my utter weakness Mm -hmm. that was Christ answering that offering. Mm -hmm. It wasn't me keeping to mind and being strong enough to like make it through labor. Yeah. And that was such a transformative moment for me. And similar to what you've said too, and illuminated so beautifully, like my weakness is the gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only task is to recognize Christ. As Giuseni says, it's the only thing that's asked of us. Yeah. Sophia, you've given me so much to reflect on. Mm, Vice versa. Even in all of like my past experiences with this new lens of is my weakness a gift and like asking that again and even right now asking it again. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm renewed in my my desire to learn that my circumstances are never the obstacle or the objection to my fulfillment and that the truth of what I desire is not a different reality, but Christ present with me in this reality. So I'm really grateful for that. Do you have a media recommendation or a monthly challenge to offer our listeners? 
I do. I think a media recommendation that came to mind for me is the painting by Marc Chagall, The White Crucifixion. Mm, Yeah. He painted the crucifixion in the setting of Auschwitz. It was so striking to me when I first encountered it, particularly because I see it as such an invitation to look for and ask Christ to make the Paschal mystery known to me in every single moment. Mm. And also, I don't know, maybe this is obvious, but to not be afraid of, of where that can happen. It like doesn't have to be in the four walls of the church. Like right. Chagall's painting this in, in Auschwitz, those who didn't recognize Christ as Savior explicitly. Mm-hmm. Do you have a monthly challenge for us, Sophia? I do. I, in recent months, I don't know why since Lent, I think, have been coming back to the Station of the Cross where we contemplate Christ falling for the third time. And it's been a really rich source of reflection or perception of who Christ is for me and his desire to go to the depths of all that we experience. This seemingly needless humiliation and excessive weakness of stumbling not once or twice, but falling three times on his way to his death. So yes, I would just invite our listeners to ponder that in some way, shape, or form um, in the coming month and to let the Holy Spirit move you to a judgment about the meaning of your pain and the Lord's presence in it. Yeah, thank you, Sophia. That's a beautiful image to ponder and I guess like just provides me with more opportunity to have a tenderness for the depths of my own weakness. Yeah, amen. Lots of room for growth over here. Um, Thank you all for joining us. I'm really glad to have Adriana back, and Julie will be back soon as well. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please consider sharing it with a friend so that this companionship can continue to grow? As ever, you can find our archive at our website, which is pilgrimsoulpodcast.com, and you can write to us there or through our email, pilgrimsoulpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you, so please send us your experiences, your questions, your topic suggestions, any of the above. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Know of our prayers for you. Ciao.